Well, last week we, put, we hit the pause button on the Good Book series, and I preached a Father's Day message, straight-up Father's Day message that I felt like God had laid on my heart. Uh, and uh, you can, if you missed that, you can watch online, of course, and, and, or on our, our app for our phone. But our, media, pastor, our media, media director, Brandon, put a snippet of that, about a minute long or something, on uh, Facebook called Do Not Get, Don't Give Up on Your Kids. And that thing went nuts. It's had 4,000 views. And almost 80 shares. And what that means is, it's just, it, you know, whenever you share something, it just goes to that next group of people. It just keeps going. That's how things go viral. And so what better thing to go viral than the hope that our kids are coming back in, that we should never give up on our children, no matter where they are, what they're doing, the Holy Spirit can reach them. Amen. Evidently, it really, really connected. So I praise God for that. But if you missed it, you can watch it online. Today, we're going to wrap up the series, the Good Book series, uh, in part eight. And I've given this message a subtitle. It's on the screen. The Process of Becoming. The Process of Becoming. Becoming what, Pastor? Well, I'll let you know in just a minute. But the previous messages for this series are also online. So if you are a guest with us. You can go back and catch up with those as well. Before we get into the message, let me do a little housekeeping for the month of July. July is going to be an amazing month in the house. Every week we're going to have a different uh, communicator up here. It's going to be an amazing, amazing month. We have some of the best preachers and teachers in, in, in anywhere, as far as I'm concerned, right here in our house. Pastor Cody, Pastor Russ is going to be speaking. Pastor, uh, Dr. Thomason, who's one of our elders, is going to be preaching. Yeah, go ahead and give it up for them. They do an awesome job. And I usually only bring in one person a year, and it's in July, because we have such great communicators. I don't have to bring anybody in, but Jameson Creel is going to be with us in, in uh, the fourth week, and he was our tour, our guide in Israel. The guy is unbelievably brilliant. You will really, really enjoy. He's an expert in the Middle East, and he's in America with his family. He's an American missionary over there, and you do not want to miss that. And uh, what's going on if you're newer to the house? Uh, the elders, when they brought me on and began the uh, actually toward the end of the interview process, to be your senior pastor, they did something very wise. They said, Pastor, we want to protect you. We want to guard you. We want to put guardrails to make sure you don't get burned out. And so we want, to, we want, want you preaching any more than 42 out of 52 times per year. And the month of July, we kind of want you to just step out of the pulpit, get a breather, and then hit the fall hard. And so that's what's happening here, but I'm, I know the temptation sometimes is to be like, well, pastor's gone, so I'm going to go be out for him. No, don't, you're going to really rob yourself if you do that. And those of you who have heard the, the speakers that I just named, you know that. They are so good, and there will be a different style, a different message every single week, so be sure to be here. Now, July 29th, I've said this one time before. If you haven't gotten this date down, get your phones out right now. And they have this handy little thing called a calendar. All right? Push it and then find July 29th and at 5 o'clock in the afternoon at the Woodstock Amphitheater. There's going to be a massive gathering of all different churches, over 30 churches, in a worship event together. 
in unity. It's called Power in Unity. And this, this uh, organization that's putting this on decided that they wanted to have a black preacher and a white preacher to come, and they, for some reason, picked me. And I am so honored to do this. Y'all need to come out to this thing. It's going to be absolutely amazing. Five o'clock, the food trucks come. They're going to have activities for the kids to go out and to have fun from five to six. And then at six o'clock, the service is going to begin. Here's how big of a deal this is. First Baptist Woodstock said, hey, if it's raining, if there's a storm and we know, we're going to open up our church to have this event. So it's, it's going to be amazing. So put that on your calendars. Now, the last couple of months, we have basically taken a balcony view of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And as we've connected the dots from Genesis to Revelation, we found that God has given us really one story of redemption. In part seven, which was a couple of weeks ago, we found out about the birth of the church and how God dramatically saved a man named Saul and changed his name to what? To Paul. A complete transformation. And I just want to let you know that God is still in the business of transforming lives today. He can transform your heart. I mean, this was a guy that hated Christians, was trying to put them in prison and even have them executed. He went from that to loving Christians, to leading them, and actually writing half of the New Testament, the doctrine of the Christian faith. Unbelievable, incredible. But we can't forget about this unsung hero in that conversion process named Ananias. And the story of Ananias lets us know that God wants to use all of us to advance the kingdom. No matter what platform we have, no matter if we're behind the scenes or or out front, no matter what gifts or talents or abilities we have, God wants to use every single one of us to advance the kingdom of God. Give Him praise if you believe that. Now, in this final talk in the Good But series, I want us to step out of the balcony, step out of the balcony and see ourselves in the pages of Scripture. I want this to be personal today, not objective, but subjective. We're not talking about a Bible hero today. We're going to talk about you and me. Now that we know how the Old Testament points to Christ and what he did for us and why he did it, now that we know that uh, how the, the church was birthed and God's plan to spread the gospel around the world, today, I, in a minute, I'm going to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to challenge your heart and to search your heart as to what all that means to you personally and what you're going to do with it now that you've learned it. Us preachers, we use this phrase a lot, and it almost gets old and trite. God has a plan for your life. <laughs> God has a plan. for. Listen, he does. God does have a plan for your life. But here's the deal. He has these clear directives and calling, but he's not going to force you to do anything. He's not going to hold your arm up behind your back and, and, and make you say, uncle, that's not the way he works. It's not what he does. That's where free will comes in. You have an important choice to make in this process of becoming. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your word becomes alive and active and prophetic and powerful. Get me out of the way and speak your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our vision statement here at New Life, I've seen a lot of guests. Can I just say, 
I am just thrilled every week at all of the guests and the, the visitors that come and a lot stay. Some don't. And, and, you know, listen, here's the thing. There's a lot of great churches. You can't throw a rock in this area and not hit a church. I got a little bit more response out of it. It's true. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not so good. But there's a lot of great churches and we don't take it lightly that you're here with us this morning. If This is your first time. We are privileged to have you here. And we hope that you'll stay and jump in and get involved and enjoy the process. But our vision statement for the church is connecting people to their God-given purpose. And I mention that over and over again because it's so important. Do you understand you will never truly be happy? You will never truly be fulfilled in this life until you are walking in the purpose that God has for you. In other words, look at the screen. You were created on purpose for purpose. You were created on purpose for purpose. You are not an accident. Even if you parents, your parents told you otherwise, you are not an accident. You, you might have been even born in less than ideal circumstances, but I'm telling you, God can make something beautiful out of the ugliest of situations. That's what my God does. He is famous for it. It is all through this book how he does that. You are not an accident. You are also not a surprise. Your parents really may have told you that, but you were not a surprise to God. You have been created on purpose for purpose. And the only way we're going to ever discover, listen to me now, the only way we're ever going to discover that purpose is to get the junk out of our hearts so that Jesus can take his rightful place at the center of our lives. Give him praise if you believe that. <laughs> Kathy and I love to take walks in the evening, especially this time of the year when it stays light till like 9 o'clock at night so we can go later and it'd be cooler, a little bit cooler. But it's also that the neighborhood comes alive. You know, everybody's kind of out, and they, they love that evening, cooler time. And so we're walking along, and I can't help it, y'all. I'm walking along, and, like, all the garages are open because everybody's out doing stuff, right? And I'm kind of walking along, kind of peeking in. I can't help it. What I've noticed, I'm a professional now, of peep, you know, anyway, I'm not a peeping Thomas. That's, 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 that's creepy. Let's back up. There we go. Forget that. Uh, strike that from the... No, I'm sorry. But what I've noticed is like eight out of ten times, we go walk by and the garages are full of... It's, some of you said junk. Some of you said stuff. It's stuff to some people. It's junk to others. It sure looks like junk to me. Anyway... It, their garages are full of stuff or junk or whatever, and these valuable $40,000 vehicles are on the outside of the garage. Can, can you all help me with something? What is a garage for? <laughs> You're not helping me. <laughs> junk. A garage truly is supposed to be to hold on and to house our cars and to protect them. But if we have a bunch of junk piled up in our garage, our valuable cars are left out in the elements, they're left out in the weather, and they're left vulnerable to a thief to come and break the window and steal something or steal the car. That, that happened several times in our subdivision. Now, what is the main purpose of your life as a believer? Not the specific purpose, but the overarching. What is the overarching purpose of our life as a follower of Jesus? 
It is to glorify him. It is to bring glory to the name of our risen Savior by becoming more and more like him. But if we're constantly keeping junk in our heart, there's no room for him there, and we end up very weak and anemic Christians, and we're not able to do hardly anything for the kingdom of God, and and, and not to mention that we're left open and vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy, and he wants nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy your life. He wants to make sure your life amounts to nothing. If he can't have your soul, he wants to take your impact from society. That's what he wants. If you're wondering why you always seem to lose the spiritual battle. If you're wondering why you always seem to come up just a little bit short in your walk with Christ, examine your heart. What is in your heart? All too often as believers, not talking about heathens, right? We're talking about us. All too often as believers, we keep the junk in our heart and push Jesus out. The only way to fulfill our purpose in Christ is and become more and more like him. We can't do that with him on the outside and the junk on the inside. We've got a problem. We've got a problem. This process of becoming more and more like Jesus, this process of connecting to our purpose, it's a movement. Everybody say movement. There's movement. Think river. There's movement involved, and that movement is not an option. Say, movement is not an option. option. We're either, listen, we're either moving forward in our relationship with Christ or we're going backward. There is no in-between. There is no status quo in the kingdom. There isn't. Now listen, it's the same in other things in our life, other areas of our life. Take working out and getting in shape. I know you don't want to, and I don't either, but listen. It's a great illustration anyway. Say you begin to commit to work out, to get in shape, to go to the gym three, four times a week. Say that you commit to a new meal plan and eating right. Your body is going to transform. It will. If you stick with it, your body will react to that and transform. So say you do that for six months and you kind of get close to that weight that you want to be and you're in shape and you're feeling better and you're like, well, I'm good I'm good, this is fine. I'll just stop and just stay where I'm at and, and, and go back to the way I want. Does it work that way? You know, and I know, as soon as you quit the program, you begin going backwards. It's the same in our spirit. As your pastor, it's my job, and I take it very seriously. Make sure you have every opportunity to move forward to grow in your faith, to equip you for works of service, to connect you to your God-given purpose. But I can't do it alone, and even the Holy Spirit can't do it. You've got to play a part in this process of becoming. You have a part to play in the process. So let's look at one of Jesus' closest friends. Let's look at at one of his closest disciples, one of the inner three, Peter, James, and John. And find out what we can do to keep our hearts pure and open to what God would have. And to make sure we're moving forward in Christ. Before they put the scripture up, let me tell you, this is 1 John is where I'm going to be. 1 John. Now this is the, the John of the, the disciples. This is not John the Baptist, okay? 
Now, he was the youngest of all of the disciples when he began to follow Jesus. He was a teenager. Think about it, a teenager following Jesus. But many years have gone by. And he is now an old man. He is now the last disciple living. All of the other disciples have given their life for Jesus Christ. And he would soon be, be exiled to the island of Patmos and would be given the revelation. He would write revelation. So he's an older man. I want you to think about grandfather John, okay? He's a veteran. He's been through some stuff. So think about that as we read. 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. As followers of Jesus, our self-worth, our identity is not in what we do. It's not in, in our job or in our bank account and our gifts and our talents or whatever we bring to the table. It's not in any of that. Look, look at the screen. Our self-worth is based on the love of God and the fact that he calls us his children. That's it. That's it. Through Christ, we have been adopted, adopted into the family of God. Your self-worth is not in what you do or don't do. It's in who you are in Christ. Somebody hear me today. My identity is not in being a pastor. That's what I do. It's not in being a father or a husband. Those things flow out of my identity as a child of the living God. And it's the same for you. Verse 2. Dear friends, now. Everybody say now. Now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. That's awesome news right there. Now I've heard it said that there are only two things we can know for sure about the future. And I know you're going to think taxes and death, right? That's, the, that's what you've heard. That's not what we're going to talk about. That's depressing. Let's just leave that alone. Number one, we, what we don't expect to happen probably will. What we don't expect to happen probably, in other words, you're going to get blindsided with some things in life. Those of you who have lived a few years, say amen. amen. You know. There's going to be some things that come along that you did not expect from anywhere, that come out of left field. They're going to... They're going to it could be a sickness. It could be a job that you lose. It could be uh, something with your children. It could be something that just comes out of left field that would, that would threaten to just pull the rug right out of everything. Maybe you're going through something like that right now, just completely blindsided. Then the other thing is what we do expect to happen probably won't. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came? Isn't that encouraging? All right, we're going somewhere. It's all right. No, seriously, you have goals and plans, and those are good things. But not all of them always happen, do they? It doesn't always happen the way we think. Now, this is, the, this is the talk I give to all my mission teams. Anytime I take a group out of the country or even in the country on a mission team, this is what I always tell all of them. Okay? The only thing we know for sure about this trip is that it's not going to go according to plan. <laughs> Come on. That's the only thing we know. 
There's probably going to be a plane delayed. Somebody's not going to remember to pick us up at the airport. Somebody's going to lose their luggage. The airline's going to lose their luggage. Something's going to happen. Somebody's going to, in Israel, going to fall and break their ankle like I did. I mean, you know, something. Listen, here's the deal. You've got to chill and relax. You can't get stressed out because if you do, you're going to stress the whole team out. Trust me. It happens. The key is to be flexible. Everybody say that. Be flexible. That's a pretty good word for life in general right there. But listen, that is only true for our plans. That's true for our plans. But John is telling us about what's going to happen in the future no matter what happens to me, no matter what happens to you. One of the biggest ideas of the Bible is Jesus is coming again. So regardless of the disappointments, regardless of the accidents or the diseases or the fight, whatever happens in our life, we still win because Jesus comes back. Even if we have to die first, he will raise us from the dead. Come on, somebody. Jesus is coming again and it's going to eventually be okay. Even if there's things in the interim that happen, Jesus is coming again. Look at the screen. No accident or sickness or even Satan himself can stop the plan of God for your life. Come on. John says we are now children of God. We are children of God right now. Hallelujah. The future will not be all that we assume it to be, but we can know with Christ it's going to be better than we can possibly imagine. Verse 3. All who have this hope of glory, he says, in him purify themselves. Say themselves. Just as he is pure. This Christian life is a process of becoming like him. But that process will not be over, will not be finished until we see Jesus face to face. It's a spiritual process. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. But like I said before, we have a part to play in this process. John said, you need, we need to purify ourselves. Now, is he talking about salvation? Is he talking about sin? No. We can't save ourselves from our sin. Only Jesus can do that. He's talking about remaining morally fit, about staying pure. I love what uh, Darren Spoo says about this. Look at the screen. Understanding eternity, we must also appreciate the interim. In other words, with heaven in mind, we can't take sin lightly. That was really weak. <laughs> you were a little stronger than the earlier service, I have to admit. Let me, let me back up. Let's say it again. Give me another opportunity. With heaven in mind, we can't take sin lightly. We can't take lightly what Jesus takes very seriously, what he gave his life for. We must be intentional about removing every sin that finds its way into our character. Again, we have a part. We have a part to play in this process. Verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now, this is heavy. Let's read it again out loud. Verse 6, let's read it out loud. 
No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or know him. Is it time to hit the panic button? If you take that and don't study it out, it's like, okay, I'm doomed. (laughs) We're all going to hell. (laughs) Because I don't know about you, but I've messed up a time or two since I got saved. Y'all are so holy. Somebody say amen. Amen. Thank you. I'm not the only one. What John is saying here is sobering. But it's not exactly what you might think. What he's saying is, listen, listen to this. Anyone who practices a lifestyle of sin where there's no regret, no repentance, and no effort to get free, that person has not been truly born again. That person has not truly experienced salvation. Listen carefully to me. They may have said a prayer, but there's been no transformation in their heart. There's been no evidence of change by the Holy Spirit. There's no fruit of the Spirit evident. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. That's not judgment, folks. That's, that's, that's exactly right. That's observation. That's not judgment. You don't need to walk up to somebody and go, well, there's no fruit in your life. The Holy Spirit can do that, and you be ready to, to work in their life and to help them. But that's truth, and it will set you free. It's not time to panic. The Greek here for the phrase keeps on sinning doesn't mean that we never mess up. doesn't mean that we never trip up and never sin or never struggle with something. It's referring to practice of sin with no repentance. So we could say it like this. No one who practices sin has either seen him or know him. Does that make sense? Everybody on the same page. But here is the other side of the coin. And here is why I sent, if you're on the email list, you got an email from me this week about the importance of, of this message. And this part right here is where I want to focus and land on. I want everybody, I know it's hot. I'm hotter than you, I promise. Can you see the sweat? I want you to focus in on this. It could be life changing for you. Look at the screen. At the other extreme of taking sin too lightly is the habit of holding guilt too tightly. Now, guilt isn't always a bad thing. As a matter of fact, it's a gift from the Holy Spirit to let us know that something is dangerously wrong in our lives. The old schoolers call it conviction. <laughs> Thought I'd get at least one amen from that. In 1937, there was a gas explosion in Texas in a school. 294 people died, most of them children. Major natural gas explosion. You're thinking, how could that have happened with nobody knowing it or smelling it? Natural gas does not have an odor. You're like, yeah, it does. I've smelled it. No, no. After that explosion, the scientists figured out how to add that odor to warn us of a danger. Now, listen, listen. Guilt is the odor of our wrongdoing. Guilt is the odor of our wrongdoing. But listen, for some of us, that scent lingers long after the sin is gone. 
after it's been forgiven, the guilt remains. Look at the screen. Once our sin has been forgiven, the work of guilt is finished. Everybody say finished. Finished. Once you have confessed your sin, once you have openly repented of any wrongdoing, God has forgiven you. Because of the blood of Jesus, you are free. You are free of that sin, and any guilt that remains is not from God. It's from you, maybe piling it back on yourself, not being willing to get free of it. It may be from somebody not letting you forget it or not letting you move on from your past. And most definitely, it's probably from the enemy because he is the accuser of the brethren. That's all he does. He is the accuser. But it is not from God. If you have been forgiven, you have been forgiven. It is forgotten. It is gone. It is as far as the east is from the west. And it is time to let it go. You can be free of that guilt. That's not God's will for you to suffer with that. Look at the screen. Think about it this way. Guilt is a state of being, not a feeling. Guilt is a state of being, not a feeling. Someone who commits a crime is guilty whether they get caught or not. They're guilty whether they get convicted and go to prison or not. A sociopath can be guilty and not feel guilty. Are you following me? But the other side is also true. You may not be guilty because you've been forgiven, but you can still feel guilty. Am I preaching? I'm taking my time with this because this is something that all of us deal with. Every single one of us at one time or another. And here's why I want to hit it hard because it can become a huge roadblock to this process of becoming like Jesus. It can hold us back. It will bind us up. It will keep you from your purpose. It will steal your joy. And if you let it, it will paralyze your faith. Now think about this. How can you go into God's presence with faith believing for the impossible if you feel condemned and full of shame? You can't. You can't. Look at the screen. Freedom is realizing God doesn't want to condemn us. He is not, if your vision of God, and I know there's a lot of new people here, if your vision of God is him up there with a lightning bolt, one more time, if you do that one more, that is not my God. For God so loved the world. He doesn't want to condemn us. He doesn't want us wallowing and condemning ourselves with shame and guilt. Once we have repented of a sin, guilt's work is done and we are permitted to let it go. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise. Now, <laughs> I had a whole nother page of notes but you will be joyfully in a state of joy to know that I axed the whole page because God spoke to me as I was going through this this week and said, no, 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 put that off for later. You need to stop right here. You need to deal with this on Sunday. 
but I have a summary of the series that I want to read to you. The big idea of the Bible is that Jesus is God in the flesh and our only means of salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. That's the big deal of the whole book, okay? But the big idea of the New Testament is that we are in the process of becoming more and more like Him. That's what the Gospels are about. Go ahead. That's what the Gospels are about. That's what the book of Acts is about. That's what Paul writes through all of his letters. That's what James writes about. That's what the writer of Hebrews writes about. That's what Peter writes about. That's what John writes about. The process of becoming like him. Why? Because the world desperately needs people full of the Holy Spirit who are walking like Jesus and talking like Jesus and healing like Jesus and preaching like Jesus and living like Jesus. Somebody praise God if you want that to be you. Man, our world is in trouble. And we are to be the hope of glory. We are to be his hands and his feet. We are to be becoming like him. That's what he wants. But folks, we can't do it. I'm done. Just listen to me. We can't do it with all the junk in our heart. We can't do it with Jesus sitting out in our driveway and all the junk in the garage. Come on. It's time to clear house and let him take up his rightful place on the throne at the center of our life. We're in the process of becoming like him. Would you stand with me?